Hi, and welcome to Talking to Artists, a casual weekly conversation where artists share their inspirations, process, challenges, and business ideas to give art lovers and aspiring artists a peek behind the curtain. I'm Kate Taylor, full-time Canadian artist and your host today. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, and welcome to episode 37 of Talking to Artists, a podcast that introduces art lovers, would-be artists, and art collectors to uh, working artists of the day to understand a bit more about their practice, their business practice, their processes, and a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. So uh, that kind of makes it fun. Today, we're going to be talking to um, Renato Foti, who is a glass artist. I have known Renato, I was doing the math last night, and I think it's like 35 years, so that's kind of cool. I'm really looking forward to kind of connecting with him. And um, it looks like uh, we're just going to wait for him to join us. And hopefully he will be here soon. So I'm currently at my cottage studio because, of course, of the uh, of the isolation. So we did our two weeks of uh, quarantining here and it's been pretty lovely, but very cold, like minus 20. So it's been kind of cool actually today to have such nice weather. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been really great. So it's kind of working on a couple of different things and playing a little bit, which, you know, you always say you're supposed to do. And I always know that I want to do and I never seem to have the time for. So it's been really wonderful to be able to have some time just to kind of play. Okay, looks like Renato has joined us. So I'm going to actually invite him right here. Hopefully he can come on board and chat with us about his glass, which I just love. Hi, can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. How are you? I never usually use the buds, so I'm doing wonderful. Thanks. Well, part of it is because I want to, um, I'm actually making this into a podcast. And so it's nice to have really good audio because then I don't have to do as much work on it. So that's my COVID plan, which I'm not there yet because I still have to learn how to do the podcast part. (laughs) Don't ask me because I'm uh, I'm not up on this stuff. I I just made a a little uh, jig to hold my phone like this so that I can have a good, uh, a good view. And I don't have to sit there with my arm for half an hour either. So. Oh, I know, because that's painful. Yeah, my sister actually sent me this really great tripod I'm using. It's uh, it's super steady, so that we can actually, you know, record while I'm painting, which I haven't actually done yet. I've just used it for stuff like this. Oh, and good, yeah. And stuff, but well, with all my cool. camera equipment, I think that's easy for me to do, too. I have a lot of gadgets, so I think I have to just uh, yeah. start to like start you're a camera guy. <laughs> I know, but you know what's funny is, is there's nothing more boring than watching a guy like myself make glass art, because it's really tedious. It's not tedious when you're doing it. It's therapeutic. But yeah. to watch somebody cut glass and place all those little beads and everything down, it it would drive you bonkers. So, <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because I have people all, all, a lot that kind of say, "Oh, it'd be great if you could document your process." And I'm like, "But same thing with staining the wood. Like it's therapeutic and it's kind of it's very an engaged process as you're doing it. But it's really not that interesting to watch it. You know? No, it's not. No, no. And even if I'm carving, I, I, uh, it's kind of funny. A, a little while back, you you were uh, you you felt a little burnt out and. We all go through it as artists. I mean, you, mm-hmm. and and this last year has been pretty good, and I've been doing a lot of those retro mesh pieces, which are, you know, tedious, and all the small pieces of glass, and your fingers get all cut up, and 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 it's not like it's bad. They're not like bleeding or anything. It's just that, you know, it's always that fine, sharp glass, and you're cutting hundreds and hundreds of them. So ultimately, it, it does take a toll, and uh, mm-hmm. and you need a break from that stuff. So I was I started a soapstone carving that I finished, and it was taking forever to do. I saw that. Yeah, it wasn't quite done yet. I have the completed pictures now. I'll, I'll throw them on Instagram, but uh, but it's not really my art style. It's it's kind of a homage to some stuff I collect, and you know some of these older Japanese pieces that I've 
played with and, and collect and uh, uh, just having fun with it. And I really enjoyed it. But um, it's one of those art forms that if you, if you do it and you want to get paid for it, it's like casting glass. It, it, it takes so many hundreds of hours to do a piece in some cases that yeah. you can't sell it for enough to justify even doing it. Right. So it's, you kind of have to look at what's marketable and what's not. And, you know, and uh, so that's one of those things you have to do just for pure pleasure because I don't know if you could ever justify making a living on that stuff. Well, I think it's also when you're doing something new and different, I find that there's initially there's that kind of ha- a whole aspect of problem solving, like haven't done it before. I need to solve the problem. There's an intellectual challenge there, right. To try and figure out new materials and things like that. And, and then you kind of have to figure if you go down a path after you've solved the problem, is it something you continue to want to do and sell it? Yeah, you know, or is it true. something that was just done for you, right? Just for the experience of it. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of those things you can play with often. It's just, yeah, you need a downtime to do it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Well, and I have, I, I have a huge affinity for glass too. I love glass and I used to do stained glass. And so I've, been sort of uh, again in the back of my head it's like trying to design a stained glass for my kitchen door right that's a, it's a panel panel door which I haven't got around to yet but the other thing I've been toying in my head for a couple of years now I just haven't quite figured out how to do it is to merge glass with the work that I do and mobiles oh. I have kind of this thing for mobiles I don't know oh so. you know but it's fun though yeah. yeah yeah I think it would be good so I don't know. I haven't really produced anything yet. Like the, the actual structure of the mobile, you know, Calder's mobiles and they're so of course, yeah. elegant. Right. And obviously I don't want to copy his stuff, but I like that kind of that connection where being off centered like that, but the ones one I've of, done so far are super kludgy. One of so. my uh, earlier commissions, you know, maybe 20 years ago, I did a, some custom work for some people in the United States and uh, they had three Calders in their living room, big ones. They had a pretty, pretty big living room. And, you know, wow. so pe- people, I know it's pretty amazing when you see people that have collections like that. So yeah. it's, it's kind of fun, but and uh, I love his work. Yeah. Like I just find it's just that combination of art and whimsy and joy, you know, like there's just something about a mobile. I don't know. I just, yeah, it, really well, it moves, it moves. It's alive. Yeah. You know, yeah. Sense. So anyway, I'm working on that. I've got too many Good. things I want to work on and not enough time, I guess. <laughs> Well, I, I, you're a person that keeps too busy, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a bit of a sickness. Every time I get rid you, of something. You have problems, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, well, you've known me for years, so you know, right? I've always been uh, like that. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I, actually, yeah, we went to university together and, and, and uh, took fine art classes together. So yeah. people don't you know. You know what I realized? I've known you for over 35 years. 35 years. I calculated. I did it last yeah, math last night. I said, holy shit, that's scary. I know. <laughs> I used to ride in the back of my motorcycle periodically. I remember that. Yep. So, yeah, that was good. But, uh, but no, the yes. arts, uh, it's, it's wonderful. It's in your blood, you know. You just have to do it and enjoy it. Um, there is a business side to it. I mean, I think that that's one thing that, that I don't know if I fell into it luckily or just evolved. I think everything evolves. That's what it's really about is you start something and you, you perfect it and, and maybe there's a market for it. And once there's a market for it, then you have to take that next step to – get it out there in the world really either via shows or advertising or exhibitions uh, social media whatever i mean and and the rules of that have changed over the last 30 years really you know it's uh, 30 years ago it was a matter of getting some really good galleries you you know it's your way of advertising there but now it's it's very different and well and uh, but I think also, I think you've always been, in my, in my remembrance of you, even now when we were kids, you've always been a good salesperson. You've always had a good eye for 
what you have and what you're doing and how to properly promote it without being without being promotion, you know? No, exactly, yeah. I find yeah. that you can't sell art. I mean, no. if I'm doing an art show, I stand there and I, I tend, to, tend to not even talk to people anymore. It's not that I don't want to talk to people. At my age, I really don't want to that much anymore. I'd rather <laughs> just disappear from my booth. Here's my phone number. If you want to buy something, have a glass of wine. Me, yeah, have a glass of wine. I'll come back and take your credit card number. You know, but but it, it's it's really up to the individual to buy it. it. It it's if they want to learn about you, they've already probably decided they want to buy the piece. Now they want to learn a little bit about you. It's it's you can't sell art. It's one of those things that, I mean, not, okay, that's not true if you're a gallery. I think that's different when. You have I, don't know. I think I think yeah. you can help people make a decision. I think you yeah. can push them when they really want to push and they're feeling a little bit guilty, maybe spending money on art. But I don't think you can talk to somebody into something they don't want or they don't like. No, absolutely not. I agree. Absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, it's not going to happen, you know, and, 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 and they know what they like right away. You know, one yeah. minute somebody walks by your piece and goes, oh, I don't like that. And the next person thinks it's the best thing in the show. It, and yeah. so, <laughs> it, is, it just doesn't matter. right? So at the end of the day, it's it's really just – uh, the client will find you and it, it, that's why you have to get out there. You just have to get out there to show your work to as many people as possible because when it happens, when they like it, they will, they will move on it. Mm-hmm. But if they don't see it, they don't know what, what to move on. Right. So. Well, exactly. Yeah. And I think too, especially if you're, as your stuff gets more expensive, like glass, I think in its own, basically because of the cost of goods on it is obviously more expensive than starting off and buying a little painting or something. For sure. But, um, yeah. but even for that, like it does take people time to, make that final decision because it's not an impulsive decision right no and i think once you get into the larger piece i mean i'm pretty much i shouldn't say only making larger pieces but my business has really turned into let's call it fine art pieces that would hang on a wall quite large maybe for corporations or you know uh somebody's living room or something but uh you know the i would say the average you know gallery costs like retail cost of a piece is probably in that seven to eight thousand dollar mark that I'm selling now, really, you know, and and in some cases they're buying two or three, depending on the wall size. So it's you're right; mm-hmm. it's a, a substantial amount of money that somebody has to spend to to fill a big space, right? So yeah, but your yeah. costs also are pretty high. Like unlike my oh, yeah. costs, which yeah. really are, are panels and paint, and you know, it's time, but it's not. There's not a lot of outside costs for the actual production of the work, right? Yeah, that's a problem with sculpture. You know, yeah. um, sculpture means you have to buy welders, electricity, kiln. It depends what type of, what, okay, stone. I've started collecting a lot of, you know, antique jade pieces and things like that. Well, I don't know if you've ever shopped for jade or materials like that, but they're excessively expensive, really difficult to work with. And and, yeah. and I love it because it's, you know, in the olden days, they never had diamond tools. So they used to carve by a braiding. So it would take thousands of hours to make a piece, right? And that, and that's why it's so valuable. It's not just well, it's the material is too, but yeah. beyond that, somebody spent you know a long time to to make a carving, and uh, and that's what's that's that's what sculpture is though, right? There's a lot of costly material and tools and shops, mm-hmm. and, you know, where, where well, think, even yeah. shipping it. You know, like I was looking on your Instagram and you had the huge crate with the shipping. I think it was five panels or whatever, and yeah. all the padding and everything just to. I must be so scary to ship that. <laughs> it is. I, I use trucking companies now, and, and uh, they, they are insured. Just insuring five panels like that is about $300. Two, 250 to $300 insurance. The crate's about 600 500 to $600. I have them made now. It might, it's just as you get older. It's just easier to contract that out. 
the trucking company is about five five hundred and fifty bucks. Then you got brokerage to the U.S. is about forty eight dollars typically. So you add all that up, it's it could be between if it's one piece or five, it's almost the same price. It doesn't matter really. Just the insurance mm-hmm. goes up more. But I find it's about a thousand dollars minimum. Just my cost to ship a panel to the United States, and most of them go there. Very few go yeah. into Canada. So you know when somebody buys a piece for say seven thousand dollars, it's a thousand dollars for shipping. If they buy three, it's maybe eleven hundred for shipping, right? It's not as bad, and right. and that's one of the dilemmas I have with going to Europe, because now you can't go land truck; you have to do air. So now to ship a, say, a, you have to remember, you know, everybody knows the galleries take their cut, you know, and and uh, so the cost that you get and I get as an artist is one half typically of what they sell it for. So that the real problem is if you go to Europe and try to ship something. Maybe it's a ten thousand dollar piece. You're getting five, but shipping could cost you two and a half. Yeah. Right. So now shipping is maybe forty or fifty percent of the cost of the piece, and it, it's not. A, it, it doesn't work as a business case at that point, especially if you're yeah, sending work on consignment. You know. So. Yeah, yeah, totally. But I remember sending a piece years ago. Yeah, and it was going to Scotland, and um, I think the I was just starting out, so I think the retail price was probably about maybe twenty five hundred dollars or something, and yeah, and the shipping price I got was fifteen hundred. I'm like. And they're like, let's well, just pass it on to the client. I'm like, the client is not going to add another fifteen hundred dollars to a no. twenty five hundred dollar painting, no. right? Like, no. otherwise they'd probably buy a five thousand dollar painting if they could afford it. So yeah, I remember having to be. That's when I really learned how to be super, super aware of the size of the packaging because what oh. happens when they packed it, they put it over that limit. And, and then there's so. insurance, there's other factors, and then I mean, when you get out of the countries, they have different rules. They have VAT taxes and. You know, sure. like how does the taxes, how do you deal with that? So you may have to make sure your paperwork's done right. And it's very complex. Yeah. So, I mean, it's really easy for people to say, oh, just, you know, you need to do a show over in Asia or something. Well, it's not, it's not easy. And try to get yeah. your work back after the fact. You know, it's not going to happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, yeah. I'm lucky. The gallery I've got just outside of London, they, um, I do the crate. I give them all the information and they manage all the shipping and stuff for it because Oh, nice. It's just easier for them to do all of the, like to your point, all the customs and the VAT and collecting all that stuff. And I'm on behalf, so I'm pretty happy about that. But it oh, also means good. that I do maybe one shipment a year, one big shipment a year, because it doesn't, again, make sense to do all these little ones. No, it doesn't. You know, it's you going back it. and forth. No. I have an opportunity for, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say this anyway, Qatar? I think it's Qatar. Oh, it's yeah. In, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Near, near United Emirates um, for a project there, maybe for five pieces through a design firm. So I'm just waiting to see what happens with that. I mean, I think there when you get you buy five, they're going to cover shipping. You know, they'll deal with the freight forward or you drop it off at Toronto Airport and, and it goes. That's probably doable because it's sold. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about shipping to work back to you, you know. Well, um, I, find ty- I find typically designers, maybe they're just better at educating their clients, but they typically seem to charge additional for shipping and the client pays that and Yes. It doesn't seem to yeah. be an issue. I just sent a big no. one down to the U.S. as well. And yeah, shipping was $1,000. And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> but client paid it. So that's right. Yeah. They knew, right? And, and there's no way around it. I mean, if you're in, a, in some countries and you want, let's say, you know, world-renowned art, it, it's coming by, by plane. You know, if you if you're, live in a small country or an island somewhere and you're looking for a spectacular artwork, it's not going to, it's not going to be local. Everything's coming from overseas. Right. So yeah. know, people are used to shipping. I think it's just hard for the, the local people to deal with it. Right. So. Yeah, yeah. for sure. 
So maybe um, we kind of jumped right in, but actually I'd love to talk a little bit about your, what your process is. Like I know you do the, uh, the retro mesh and the corporate, those kind of color wall pieces, yep. um, which is probably the piece that I would say you're probably the most well known for. Like I see exactly. those a lot with yeah. ADC and a lot of corporate buying, but then you also are working on kind of these sculptures and the masks and almost like religious icons, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So as so, well. Yeah. I'll explain that. I think I, I, I've always collected art. You know, and I think as you get older, and I love going to antique markets and things, but typically higher end ones. And and I travel a lot, so you know I've been around the world many times. And and you know you buy very beautiful things that are mean something to you sometimes, and you bring them home. And and I started collecting a lot more in the last few years. And I think part part of it is financially. You're at a place financially where you're able to, to spend money on stuff. You don't have other debt and you're, let's say you're established at that point. So, and I'm buying things that I can turn into uh, other art pieces. So it's kind of inventory for me in a sense. So I'll buy well, something. That's cool. Yeah. So, so that's where I got into some of these crosses. So um, here I can, I can, I can walk around and show you a couple if you want to. Sure. Um, yeah. Cause they're in, my, they're in my office here. I just have to figure out if I can now uh, take this off the, the thing. <laughs> so so this is one that let me go around here. Here I'll do this one. So I found this in a name. This is this is probably about 250 years old. It's it's quite a valuable piece. And and and, and I'm not necessarily religious, so it's not about that. But I have a glass cross, I mounted it on the glass, and I did a cast glass base that, that is actually cast glass. And and uh and I've done a bunch of these because I, I find a lot of the religious icons, you know, very historical, um, especially when you go to places like Peru. After I did this trip to Peru uh, over a year ago, they had some of the most amazing religion icons that I've ever seen in churches, like priceless artifacts. And I'm going, oh my God, the art and the, the, you know, the Catholic church and everything about that got me thinking about some of these icons. And, and uh, so I started collecting those and turning them into other things. Um, and I've done that with quite a few pieces. Uh, this piece behind my shoulder here is uh, an old kind of a wooden religious doll. I don't know if it was religious or not, but it was this cool piece I found, and I did a glass base for it. And so I'm I'm doing things like that, where I'm taking old and turn it into to new with my own castings and things. I don't know how sellable it's going to be. I don't care necessarily, but I think that that's the thing with art. What's popular today, and maybe. 15 years from now, I think some of these pieces, and, and it might sound crazy, but I think these are museum quality pieces that I'm making for some of these things. Um, like I'll walk around and show you some other stuff too, because you might yeah, find it interesting. I don't think you've actually been to my place, have you? No, we kept meeting too and talking about yeah. it. It never happened, and then COVID. So, <laughs> so definitely um, after this. So these are, these are these giant mannequins. This is another series I did, and these are quite large. Yeah, I saw those at ADC. I think ADC carried a couple of those. Some of the shows. Uh, yeah, at the shows. And I did. I had one outside the Gardner Museum uh, that was uh, right. a transgender one. And this is another cross here where I have, like, crystals, oh, cast cool. glass. Um, so it's, it's quite heavy. It's quite big. And, uh, you know, so I'm using natural materials. Uh, this is another one here where I, I actually repaired. This is an ivory, probably from the... 17 i need to get you on uh seven it's hard to see because the, the, the light's behind it so i'll go yeah. here but that oh, would be 17th century 
very old and uh, again made a cast glass base and just just doing some really fun things with it and uh yeah and then i have these i don't know the skull series yeah those are really cool i like those yeah. a lot so there's some there i'll walk down to my studio too if you don't mind so most of the stuff that you're selling is the, I guess, is the are the mesh pieces, right? Yeah, that would be the, let's call it the, the main moneymaker. Um, sometimes the other stuff, I mean, I think it will sell. It's just, it's a relatively new series. So it's one of those things right. that, that People have to get time. used to it. Yeah. So, uh, so these are, so this is, this is a crocodile. It's actually full size. Uh, this is a, a giraffe. This is a narwhal which is a whale skull. Oh, wow. And a six foot ivory uh, tusk, as you can see, pretty big yeah. walrus. And these are all uh, from Inuit areas, right? So this, these would be, you know, food for them. And, you know, these are, I find the skulls are really cool because it, nothing goes to waste, right? It's a, uh, it's kind of a homage to the animal. It's polar bear. And I got, you know, lion and some baboons and different things. And, and uh, it's another one of the mannequins here. And that's a studio here, quite a large studio. I have stuff in the kiln right now, so I have some commissions I'm working on. And so I have the two large kilns here and all the glass yeah, and a photography oh, so area cool. at the back. Yeah, so this is at the lower level. And then I got art everywhere, right? And then glass cutting <laughs> stations are here. And then all the glass is right over here. So, yeah. How, how many hours a day would you figure you work on your art? Uh, it's one of those things. It, it goes in stages. So um, I'll go back. I'll walk back upstairs. You know, because I have I have another career, right? I'm also an engineer, and and work at Rapid Gear. So my me and my wife run the company. Uh, so today I'm home working. Uh, but you know, it's really a combination of two jobs in a sense. <laughs> you yeah. know, but I'm always working at art. So this weekend I'll I'll get my kilns going again. So most weekends I work because I like to. If I if I don't work in my studio, I'll get really bored, right? So mm-hmm. yeah. Well I think you know you were always laughing at me about how busy I am, but you're also the same way, right? Like you're a testament much. to yeah. yeah, to people that that like I did for many years as well. Like you can have a full time corporate job and still be a full time artist. Yes. Right? And, I, and I do consider myself a full time artist. Yeah, uh, just because I do something else doesn't mean I, you know, don't don't work on my art. Um, and don't put the hours in, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. There are a lot of there are a lot of part full time artists that probably spend less time on their art than you do in terms of being able to a hundred percent fit it yeah. in, right? Yeah, I get up early. I mean, I I I was already welding this morning at seven o'clock in the morning, making hooks for my my art pieces, and you know the kiln was it ran last night, so you know you finish it off, you get it going by seven o'clock at night. Um, runs all nights with a computer, you know, so it's, it's a kind of, it's kind of a constant process, right? So, yeah. Yeah. There's another one of those uh, pieces up here, which is kind of a, this is, this is about 300 years old as well. It's wood and it's cast glass and a you know, piece of vertebrae and an ivory wow. Jesus on top. Yeah. Pretty, pretty crazy collection. Pretty wild. Of yeah. Yeah. yeah really neat. But so. your, your background, because, um, you know, when I met you, obviously you were doing an engineering degree as well as a fine arts degree. But your engineering background must have actually been really helping because a lot of your art is very technical, like with the kiln yeah, and the I, welding. I, and I think so. Yeah. In terms of being a craftsman, I think it, it never hurts to have an understanding of materials and metals and cements and, 
you know, whatever you're doing, I think that technical knowledge is, is really helpful for sure. I don't know about the mathematics of it. I don't think too much of my art uses mathematics. <laughs> so, but, uh, well, it probably does, though. I mean, calculating, yeah. you know, Look, yeah, but glasses that's and how long that, I had. That's easy math, though. But, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's easy because you know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but but the, the other thing is, I think that, you know, we were talking, you touched on it a little bit before, too, is, is part of it is, is understanding the craft and, and committing to your practice. But the other part of it is having the business side of it, um, which I think you've always been really strong at. Uh, in terms of getting the work out there. But the third part of that, which I think is really um, wonderful about you, is you're a very generous artist and you're a very generous person. And I think that that's part of building that community. I know when I first started out and you introduced me to uh, Nancy Grenier, Rouge Concept, oh, yes, who, right. yeah. by the way, I saw uh, a couple months ago and she said to say hi. <laughs> I hadn't seen her in oh, ages. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that was one of those things that for me starting out, it was really nice to have you make that introduction to a gallery and to, help me understand how to work with galleries and then how to understand how to, how to take that constructive criticism she had for how to make, how to make my work better and to continually improve. There was nothing in it for you, right? Other than a, you know, a friend doing a friend a favor, but I do think that I can see your fingers in a lot of stuff that is generous and giving as an artist to the community. And oh, I think that's, that's nice to be able to say, yeah. I've done well, that I think with a lot of artists that, that are starting out, especially when they start to ship to the United States because they're not sure how to do it, you know, and, mm -hmm who to deal with and the best way to get into that market. Because I mean, that is a big market there, you know, Canada's wonderful, but we're one tenth the size, right? So, you know, if you're, it, it just, it, and I think that's, that's one thing that I try to let artists that are trying to make a name for themselves, understand that if they're in Toronto and that's Toronto's Canada's biggest city and they only show in Toronto, ultimately you're not going to sell much because you can only have a few galleries there. And yeah. once your work kind of gets out in those galleries, people see it, you might have sales strong for a few years and then ultimately it, it will start to decrease. And that's happened to every gallery that's carried my work since for 35 years. I mean, they, they only have their certain customers and very, unless you're in a touristy area where they're getting new customers every week because there's cruise ships coming in, you know, it's uh, the, the same customers that, Petrop that they always had. And I know it changes a little bit, but ultimately uh, you have to expand more in your city. That's what it really comes down to. And yeah. And uh, artists don't realize that sometimes. Well, uh, I think especially if you're an abstract artist, which both of us are to not including your mannequins, but I think the reality too is that Toronto is really primarily the only abstract city in the country. So if you do landscapes, then you have the opportunity to maybe go to Calgary or Montreal or, you know, Vancouver, but even, even if you hit all the big five top cities, you're right. You're going to run out of customers in the, in Canada pretty quickly. Pretty quickly. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. And, and it's funny. I do travel across Canada often for work and uh, there are some really good galleries in places like Regina and Saskatoon. And I, I've been to Calgary and Edmonton for galleries and there is abstract mm -hmm. work out there. There are just some really good artists out there, um, yeah. as well as Quebec. Quebec is amazing. But typically, Quebec carries Quebec artists. They don't yeah. usually have a lot of artists from outside of Quebec. Um, even though I've shown in Quebec, I, I think the norm is it's kind of local. It does um, seem to even be. In, yeah. And even in, yeah. And even in some of the bigger, well-known galleries, I, I think that uh, that's the way they, they tend to do it there more. And it's funny. Some people from Quebec have bought my work but they bought it in the States 
and then find out they're living in Canada and you have to ship it to them and say, like, okay, that's in Canada. I'm actually in Montreal yeah. in a week. You want me to deliver it? They're like, wow. <laughs> that's way better. <laughs> so, I know. Yeah. It's, 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 it's funny, but it's true. Yeah. Well, and I think you're also the one that put me in contact with uh, ADC, which uh, has been really great for me as well. Like in terms that's right, of, yeah. Um, and Petrov yeah. as well, I think, too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Petrov well, you knew about. That's close to your house. Petrov I knew they were close to me, to yeah. But I do but, think that um, it's nice to be able to, if you're going to go and embark on something that's different and a little bit nerve-wracking, you know, like doing these art fairs or doing something like ADC where you don't know if it's going to be worth it, it's nice to be able to have you know, tap into your community of artists and kind of say, Hey, honestly, does this work for you? And how does it work for you? And yeah. do you think it'll work for me sort of thing? You know, it, it does. And, and, but even then there's never a guarantee, right? People have to understand that I've done art shows where I've spent a lot of money to go down to Florida, ship your work, attend a show and nothing sells. And you try it one more time and then maybe two pieces sell. Yeah, there's no rhyme or reason. It is risky, yeah. but, and I, and I do have to say this, but, somebody might call you four years later and say, Oh, I seen your work. I remember it. Now I'm ready for it. And you, it, and it happens. It really does. So yeah. I think you have to look at art shows as really building the foundation. And that's really what it is because you don't always get a sale at them. You've done enough. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But I think that's why it's also really important to remember that while you're sitting in your booth, you know, you talk to as many people as possible, collect your, uh, names in your database, continue to court them and woo them, you know, and build a relationship yeah, with them. So yeah. when they are ready, then you're kind of right there front and center. And I think that's the other thing a lot of artists don't do is they don't continually follow up. And you know what, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of that. Yeah, I think everyone's guilty for a while. But I think that, you know, marketing 101 tells you you have to touch someone what nine times before they kind of will make a decision and probably another five before they actually decide to purchase. So if you give up after the first email, you're also leaving opportunities on the table yeah. from people who truly want to oh, buy from totally. you, right? They just get busy. But, but the little joke of it is when I do an art show, I spend more time going to visit the artist friends of mine because I don't see them very often and I'm not at my booth that often. So I know, me <laughs> too. where's the guy at this booth? I don't know. He's probably visiting somebody having a beer somewhere. Cool. Yeah, but don't you tell, like I can totally tell though the shows where I'm like, wow, my sales weren't very good today. It's like, Oh, that's because I did too much socializing. I got to keep my ass back in the booth. <laughs> So what's uh, what's next in your so, future? What are you working on I'm, in terms of uh, taking your business to the next level or different shows or? Well, I, I find, okay. I mean, if you want to talk about my business a little bit, I started off as a sculptor doing, let's say, relatively expensive castings. This is a long time ago. Okay. This is before I did the dinnerware stuff. And then you kind of get into these crafty galleries uh, gift shops, uh, some, I mean, I used to sell the Barneys of New York and they, they were buying some pretty cool stuff of mine at the time. And, and it was a really good customer. And this is quite a few years ago. And you, you kind of get distracted and you're doing more, let's call it low volume production items, you know, and that's, I would say that's more the craft world. And then with those retro meshes, they got larger, and bigger and more com complex. I tend to sell a fine art galleries now more, more so than craft galleries. Okay. So right. there's, there's a difference there. And uh, I just got into a, they actually sold some of my work in the past recently. And I sent three pieces down to um, a, a new gallery in uh, Boca Raton uh, called, called Rosenbaum Contemporary. And I mean, they're pretty high end galleries. So I think, I think my goal, and I'm not sure how easy it will be is, you know, to take that to that next level of, 
you know, fine art gallery that, uh, you know, is one of the better ones in the city, for, for example, right? So, uh-huh. um, and, and I think in some places that's easier to do than others. And, but I think that's, that'd be a nice place to go. Then you can maybe do a new series that's maybe a little bit more complex or, you know, more to it in some cases. Or based on and, the colors uh, of the area to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Yeah. But but I went to series two retro mesh. I mean, there's it's confusing for people, but you, you can see a difference. But series one was one price, and I said, well, I'm going to add more complexity to this. And I and there's, there's there's an extra firing. I got those little squares with those pinstripes, and and it takes a lot longer to make them, and they're almost double the price. I mean, eighty eighty percent more expensive, and uh, you know, so it, it, that's a different market for that too, right? Different price point. So I think I think that's what you want to do sometimes. It's just kind of add to it. I mean, I'm not, I, I, I mean, I love these icons where I'm taking antiques and turning them into something else, but the price points are going to be pretty high. I mean, some of those, I, I don't know if you've ever bought a Norwals called before, but I mean, <laughs> no, Royalty used to collect them. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think there's a lot around, but, no. uh, but, but the people that own those would be, would be Queen of England. Like that, that's what they, I don't know. There's a new book by Tasha called Cabinet of Curiosities. And this is what, the nobles collected, they collected antlers and turtles and uh, skulls, all sorts of crazy stuff. And cause they were, they were like, that was science back then. I mean, natural history was really front row science 150 years ago. Okay. Right. And, and this is the stuff that people had. And, and some of those things are, are it's really cool and rare, very rare. Um, and to turn it into art, you know, somebody had to spend a lot of money on that, that piece because just the skull itself is, you know, ten thousand dollars, really, right? So maybe more. Yeah. So then, if a gallery sells it, now it's twenty, and then now, now you got my art with it too, which took a long time to make. So you're you're probably talking a forty thousand dollars sculpture. So you know that's a whole different market, right? Where's it going to sell? Who's going to want it? Right. But I think ultimately one day it does happen. It just that might happen after I'm dead. <laughs> so. Well, let's hope not. Well, but, it no, but, but that's how it but, used to be, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, you studied art history. We studied art history together. Yeah. I mean, if you go back a couple hundred years, artists died starving. You know, and it's only recently that, you know, I think you can make it a good life as a living artist. I mean, I know, I know, maybe back in four hundred years ago, some of the artists did. They work primarily for the church. You know, they were yeah. sculptors and, and artisans working primarily. Yeah, only they did well. The Catholic Church. Yeah, mm-hmm. they did okay. And they might have had some employees and stuff, but it's 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 a world that, uh, you know, it's very different. And I think nowadays, if, you know, if your work can become that valuable, I don't think it's that common that artists can can sell, you know, eighty or $100,000 pieces while they're still alive, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's only a couple of galleries that is at that range, you know. Well, I can, the only one I can um, think of off the top of my head would be Charles Pachter. Yeah, maybe the Tevier Gallery, too. Tevier, yeah, yeah. Down on King Street. Yeah, yeah. they're pretty high end. And, and then when you get to New York, you get some of those, you know, like, there, there are galleries around, you know, like in Vancouver and Toronto that, that, that are that, that level, and obviously in Europe and New York. But, but I mean, that's such a... You know, that's, that's, that's that one out of a million type of thing. That, and and, that, and maybe no, none of us ever get there, right? But I think you have to make the work and see where it goes. Well, I think if you don't work the work and you don't look at pricing it in a way that's fair to you as the artist, you're never going to get there. So you have to start, right? No. 
Um, but I think once you get to that certain price point, it takes you totally out of the local market though. Like it's just, yeah. it just becomes, you know, your market becomes very, very small, very quickly. Well, and you certainly so. can't really probably sell it yourself. Like you have to really go through a gallery so that they've got their, their reputation, but also their client base that you really don't have access Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Yeah. You're not going to sell it yourself easily. No. The problem with some of these, with some of these other things I'm doing is you can't ship it into United States. So if anything contains, you know, a walrus tusk, for example, I can ship it within Canada, even though it was legally obtained, it, it, you can't ship to the U.S. There's a lot of rules on, and, and actually, I'm learning this in the antique side of the business with, with valuable antiques from other countries. It has to come before 1970, otherwise you could risk having to give it back to the country. So if you, you could start looking in articles on things like that where big museums like the Smithsonian's and some of these major museums had to give works back to other countries that they might have in their collections for a long time uh, because they were taken out of the country sort of illegally at the time or who knows how they got out of the country, right? Because So yeah. that's something you have to really watch nowadays. So if you went well, to, I, say, Iran yeah. and, you, and you buy, yeah, you, yeah, you can't bring things careful. home that easily sometimes. I, I ran into yeah. that even. I was looking to buy a, um, a Mahjong set um, that was, uh, was ivory and you know it was on Amazon or whatever or eBay or something. So it was like, and it, was, it had all its certification, but yeah, they couldn't ship it out of the country. That's yeah, it's difficult, yeah. And, and ivory within Canada, and it stays in Canada, is totally legal. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, obviously, it has to be antique ivory, and there's different yeah. dates for it. But there's a lot of rules for things like that, right? So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Well, shipping resin painting seems super, super easy now. <laughs> it does, I know. <laughs> oh. I'll never complain again, Renato. <laughs> Okay, yeah. well, I, so how many I think people, it's... How many people sorry? typically join these? I'm just curious. How many people are on here now? Uh, let me see. How many people we have on now? I see five. Is it only five yeah, people? Yeah, we don't people. have that many people. I find that usually what happens is after it gets posted, a lot of people listen to it afterwards. So um, anywhere between okay. five and 700. And then I've got some on uh, YouTube as well. But it's one of the reasons okay. I want to actually... I've had a lot of people kind of say they tend not to watch it. They tend to listen after the fact. Um, oh, interesting. And so that's okay. why I want to make it into a podcast and then it'll be easier to just kind of download that. So good, it should be good. kind of fun. Well, <laughs> it's a great way to, to connect with you anyways, because it's been too long. So it has been. Um, yes. Yeah. When, when, when I miss our nice dinners and, <laughs> our lunches we oh, used to go to. <laughs> yeah. A glass of wine, always a glass of wine or two. But, or two, uh, yeah. But, you know, well, let's, let's do that once, uh, once we're able to frequent some restaurants and uh, we'll, we'll get together. Soon. Absolutely. And I would love to come out and see your studio. It looks amazing. And I just, I just love glass anyway. So it'd be well, really great to see some of the pieces as they're being born. Well, thank you very much. Okay. And we'll, uh, well, we'll thank you. I, soon. Yeah, me too. I really enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, good luck with your, your stuff. I look forward to seeing your next icons and your, your skulls and, and things like that. And your maps. Great. I liked your maps too. I saw. <laughs> oh, they were fun. I know. But I, I think yeah. that's the stuff you do more for commission, though, right? So, anyways, yeah. And if yeah. you keep talking here, it never ends. But okay, we'll <laughs> okay. talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Renato. Yeah. Have a great day. All okay. right, bye bye. Bye-bye. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me again. Uh, next week we've got Deanna Fitzpatrick, who does actually rug hooking. So that will be really interesting because I haven't talked to anybody who's kind of a fiber artist. Uh, so that will be kind of fun. Um, once again, if there's anybody that you uh, would like me to interview, please reach out and I'm happy to, uh, to reach out to them and see if they're interested in doing that. Uh, this will be posted on my Instagram page as well as Facebook and on my YouTube channel. So YouTube slash Kate Taylor Art. 
And as soon as I get my podcast up and running, I will let you know when that's ready to go too. So have a fabulous day and we will see you next week.